This talk is from our series on Covenant. Journey with us as we ask what does Covenant mean and what relevance does it have in our relationship with Jesus. For more information, other resources and media, please visit citychurchleads.net. Stu's all rigged up. He's ready to roll. Let's give him a huge warm welcome. I have no video this week, so maybe you can just imagine. Dum. Dum. No, okay. All right, that didn't work. Stuart, over to you, my friend. Praise the Lord. Oh, you can hear me. That's great. Brilliant. Let's pray. Father, you are awesome. Father, we thank you that creator of the galaxies has chosen us. Fragile small, almost insignificant. Father, but you chose us. And now we have a destiny and a future in you. And we just give you praise. We are so grateful. And Father, we just offer our hearts to you now, our, our listening and our thinking and our beings. And we ask you, God, we open the doors of our heart to receive from Holy Spirit to receive life, to receive word. And we say, God, would you breathe on this? Lord, breathe on the words I share. Would you overshadow, Lord? Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come in the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Wow. My goodness, where do we start? <clears throat> well, actually, it's a continuation. God has this habit of preempting what you're going to share. And he has done today. Um, obviously, I knew what I was going to share, and I kind of saw the theme coming through. But maybe you might um, pick up with that as we go. Um, you have to forgive me that I diverted from the theme slightly, like a lot. Except, I'm still talking about covenant. But it's almost like you could say it was in three or four parts, because the start of it is what I'm going to share today. Um, because I felt it was important to have a look at what is covenant. I just thought, in my study, I thought, I just need to look at this. And I got so excited, I thought, I've got to do this bit. This is really good. And then it kind of was it. So forgive me if you thought I was going to share a lot on friendship. What I'm going to do today is, if we click on first slide, please, um, is click on the next one. We're going to look at a very understated hero of the Old Testament. Um, so stay with me. If you're feeling a bit sleepy, shake yourself, move about. I'll try and not be rushed, but I'll try that you don't fall asleep. Okay, that's slide number three. Look at that. Isn't that amazing? Somebody actually built one of those. That's real. Somebody in Holland built an ark based on the biblical description as far as we can understand, and that looks pretty amazing. And the next slide. Okay, we're going to look at Genesis 6. So if you get your Bibles, oh, thank you so much, um, we will have a read. Okay, I'm going to pull out those verses of chapter 6, and put your hand up if you found chapter 6, and you know where we're starting. Thank you, John. You get the bounty bar, but I have to go and buy it. Thank you, Sarah. Anybody else found chapter 6? Three people, right, okay, that should be enough. It's at the beginning of the Bible. 
Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And into verse 9, Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Jump down to 13 and 14. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And then jump to 17. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy them from under heaven, all, all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth will die. But I will establish my covenant with you. Let's say that together. That I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your wife's sons with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. And jump to 22. Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him. So he did. So let's uh, jump to the next picture. This context was absolutely disastrous. I want you to imagine, I want you to picture what it must have been like. The earth had seen nothing like it, and the earth hasn't seen anything like it since. It was utter devastation. Complete destruction was being brought on the earth. Every living person was going to be destroyed except Noah and his family. Everybody annihilated from the face of the earth. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Pretty bad. You know, we see pictures today of Syria and Mali and all those violent things, and it is awful. It is utterly awful. But we have parts of the earth where it's blessing and peace. But imagine the whole earth being corrupt. Nothing good anywhere. And it's so bad that God decided that's it. I'm going to bring an end to it all. It moves me. I just think, man, God's heart was grieved at the state of what he'd created. He said, I'm going to start all over again. Let's look at the next slide. I think that's from the tsunami. I mean, this is, this is kind of what God thought, right? Wipe it out. Remove it completely. Verse 17, and behold, I'm bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on earth will die. We're talking big time destruction. You don't want to hang around to see this event. Let's look at the next slide. You know those nutters on the telly that go out, they say this is storm force warning hurricane, and yet they're on the beach, like they're just trying to take a camera, take a photograph, and they're being blown off their feet. These mad people, all those people that chase volcano things and tornadoes, whatever. 
And it's horrifying watching it. You see this volcano, all these pyroclastic clouds coming pouring before people. Quick, get in the car. They're just mad. But what was happening here in Noah's day was, was nothing in comparison. It's far worse. And I think we, we just make it a nicey, nicey little story, don't we? We just think Noah and the ark and it's all very nice. And when I Google pictures of Noah, it was all these very nice cartoon pictures. Everything's happy and jolly. But it really wasn't at the time. Now then, why am I making this point? Good question. Well, one, because Noah is a type of the church. Okay? It's a type of you and me. And the waters represent the waters of baptism. Okay? If you want to look at 1 Peter 3, verse 20 to 21. Has anybody got an NIV handy? So I just want to read it out of the NIV. Okay, let's just go over there. Thanks, Lauren. And just read that. Can you remember what verses I just said? Because I've left my notes behind. Oh, which verse? <laughs> Can I borrow the book? Oh, my word. That's Genesis. I want 1 Peter. Anybody got it? Anybody like to read it out? 1 Peter 3, verse 20 to 21. There's a voice from over here. Oh, are you going to read it? Go on, there you go. 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21, I think I said. Sorry. Uh, to those who are disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Right. Not, yeah. I think that, that'll do. That's good. That gives us the picture. tells us that it is a symbol. It is a picture for us. God's into pictures to help us grasp the truth of ultimately what we're talking about today, which is covenant. Now, it's in this desperate context... Okay, this image of destruction where God is prepared to wrap it all up and start again by destroying mankind from the earth. It's in this context that God says, I will establish my covenant with you. Destruction is all around. God says, I am establishing my covenant with you. He's saying, I'm not going to destroy you. If you take refuge in the ark, you will be saved. This is a picture of when we get saved. It's a picture of the utter dedication God is making to us when we put our trust in him. I'm going to labor this. Hasn't he said, never, never will I leave you nor forsake you. Even if the world is deluged and your neighbors are wiped out and your whole street gone and your city flattened, I will preserve you. I said I'd be a shouty man today to keep you all awake. But this is what God is saying. It isn't idle words. And this is the heart that was coming through the worship for me. Forever I am faithful. And he's speaking it into situations of challenge and destruction and pain and heartache and breaking. He's saying I will preserve you. Trust me. Hang on. He has made provision for us. Baptism saves us. Wow, that's an awesome thing. For those of us who've gone through the walls of baptism, and I recommend them if you haven't done it, this is the seal of salvation when it's done in an expression of absolute faith and trust in Jesus. You don't just go through the motions. 
And here we find that God made a way for Noah. God gave him the plan of salvation. Okay, now, why am I getting all excited about this when we're talking about covenant? The reason is because being a budding Bible scholar, I know that, and I hope you know too, because I always tell you whenever I get up here to preach, the first mention, which means the first time in Scripture something is said, is the blueprint to understand the whole concept and principle about it. And here it is in the context of Noah. God says, covenant. Now, he already had a covenant with Adam, actually, and with mankind. But the word comes here. Now, there is something about it. There is something extreme in this situation, in this passage, of the contrast of utter destruction, but also deliverance. And there's more. Praise God. Did you notice that God didn't say, Noah, I'll make a covenant with you. No, he said, I will establish my covenant with you. Hmm, interesting. Big deal, you say. But let's look at the word establish. Do you know, it wasn't actually an afterthought from God. Oh, I'm destroying the world, but I forgot about Noah. Mm. Better work something out for him. I know, I'll make a covenant with him. No, it wasn't like that. God had his plan. Now, how do we know that? Because of the word covenant, uh, not covenant, sorry, establish, is actually a very poorly translated word. It doesn't do it justice. It's from the Hebrew, kum. And I want you to listen and read in a moment how it translates elsewhere to give us a better grasp of what this means. And this is really important that we grasp this. Look at these words. It means to abide, to accomplish, and confirm. It's not saying, God's saying, well, I'll start a covenant. Let's put something rapidly together. No, he says, I'm going to confirm what I've already promised you, Noah. I've been talking to you. You've been building this ark for decades. I don't know how long. Somebody said somewhere it was over 100 and something years it took to build. I was trying to find where it was, but I gave up. This was a long-term project. No one knew God in this, but he must have been thinking, what am I doing here? What's going on? But God says, now when destruction starts to hit, I've been warning you, Noah, something is coming on the earth. When it comes, you're going to shake. You'll see it. You'll be scared. But I'm telling you, I shall confirm my covenant to you to continue this thing, decree it, endure, enjoin, make good, help, hold, lift up, make, ordain, perform. God says he will perform his covenant Pitch, raise, remain, rouse up. And I like these last final ones. Set up, stir up, strengthen, succeed, make sure, and uphold. This is what God is saying to us in the worship. He's saying, forever, I am faithful. Why does God say it? Why does he labor the point and go on and on about it? It's because we're so dim. It's because we're so short-term memory, so poor that we forget and we get immersed into circumstance. We get overwhelmed with circumstances. And we forget the word, or even we don't forget it. We say, well, God, I'm really struggling to believe it. I know it's there, but God, look at this. What's going on? In crisis, God is saying, far 
from abandoning you, this is the very place where I'm going to prove my covenant to you. Did you catch that? I'll read it again because I like that. In crisis, God is saying, far from abandoning you, this is the very place where I'm going to prove my covenant with you. In the hard times, God is saying, I will make this thing good. I will strengthen my bond with you. I will carry you. I will uphold you. I will raise you up. I will help you. I will accomplish what I promised you. I will make sure that what I said will hold true. Come on, somebody shout amen. So, as if we didn't need any more persuading, God decides to make absolutely sure that we get the message by his threefold mention. Everybody say threefold mention. When God says something three times, he means business. He's saying, sit up, wake up, pay attention. I'm trying to get the message across to you. Okay? So we've already seen the first mention of establish. In chapter 6, if you jump into chapter 9, and we can jump on to, uh, oh, we're in there already. Very good, thank you. Let's just read, what does it say? And I'll turn the page to, let's catch up. Verse 9 and 11. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons. Maybe it's not that verse, perhaps it isn't. I just have to say, incidentally, I was doing this at 3 o'clock this afternoon. Sorry. Uh, well, you know, busy working life and all that. Um, had all morning, but I mean, it is verse 9, is it? Okay, and what does verse 11 say? Let's have a look. Then I will step, establish my covenant with you. It's the light, actually. I will and it's my eyes, and it's this Bible. Um, there, thus, I will establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God wants to make doubly sure. Children, wake up, come up to the front right now. Three, two, one, grab the parachute, please. You see, God loves to give us a sign. Wave it up and down, folks. God wants to make doubly sure for us to understand the covenant. He gives us something visible. Let's look at verses 12, 13, and 17. You're waving it, can't hear you. Right, 12, 13, 12. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. And 13, I will set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for a sign of the covenant. Are you waving? Come on, wave up and down, up and down. Let's see a bit of life up here. Well, gently, nice. Well, it's the storm, storm clouds brewing. Okay, in verse 17, and God said to Noah, this is the sign of my covenant, which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Thank you, children. Fantastic. Young people, sorry. The sign. How, how long ago did we see the parachute? Can you remember? It's a long time, isn't it? But suddenly it's popped up in the worship. It's a sign. Hello, a sign. Do you like God speaking? It's a sign. He's trying to demonstrate something here today and to reassure us that his covenant is unfailing. 
But also, let's look at verse 14. Not only does God see the, see the sign and give us a sign. God says he will look upon the rainbow as a sign for himself and he will remember. Wonderful. And he goes on to say, he refers to it as the everlasting covenant. The everlasting covenant. Okay, girls, you can put it down now. That's fantastic. Thank you. Give them a round of applause. That was, thank you. Spur of the moment. They didn't know that was going to happen. So really, it can't get any better. This thing can never be broken. Now, I know this is a specific covenant that God was talking about flooding the earth and never again to do it. But because this is the first mention of covenant in Scripture, it is underscoring the nature of all God's covenants with man. And there are, I suppose, just two things I want to pull out of all of this today. And the first is that God's covenant is unbreakable. Completely solid. But there's also another part. And we have a part to play. And that's the other side of the coin. God has sent Jesus. Salvation is there. Then why isn't the world saved? Because we have a part to play. We have a part to cooperate with God. And why have I jumped up and down and been a shouty man and so on today about this? Because God so wants to ignite faith in us. Confidence to take the next step. To say, God, I do believe you. I trust you. God, I'm finding it really hard. But you've said it, so I trust you. I don't understand it. I can't work it out. But God, I believe it, Lord. That's what he's looking for. He wants the words to come out of your mouth. He wants the belief to be in your heart. So he can say, right, now it can happen. This releases the situation. It causes doors to fly off their hinges. To break open situations in your wider families. Financial challenges. Sickness. God is saying, my covenant is unbreakable. I cannot renounce my word. I just cannot. Now I want you to be encouraged that Noah took a hundred odd years to build this ark. It's a very long time. I think none of us have been around quite that long. Think of the doubt and the everything else that went on. Noah had to believe what God was saying to him. Saying, sorry? You're going to send, what was that? Rain? Rain? What's rain? They'd never had rain on the earth before. It was a totally new thing. What, 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 what is God saying? There'll be a flood? What's this rain stuff? But he had to believe. And then all the ridicule of the people around him, and he had to live through this violent, just horrible society that he was surrounded by. Ring any bells? They must have thought Noah was a complete fruitcake. But Noah had to listen to God and trust that what he heard was right. What he heard God say was true. And he also had to convince his family to join him. 
Not to mention gathering all the animals. I mean, what a bizarre plan. Have you ever thought, you know, God would say, he's thinking, what was that, God? Sorry? You want me to go and round up the animals now? Okay. And what about Mrs. Noah? I'm not going in that thing. What? Share a room with those animals? What about the smell? And how am I supposed to cook in there? Now, God is asking us to trust him. He's asking us to believe in him, to rely on and lean on his covenant love towards us. He is saying, I can be trusted. He wants us to be like Abraham, friend of God. So that's my link with friendship. Okay. We are all friends with God. Some might feel like distant friends, but we're friends with God. And you know those friendships that you have? You may not see people for years and years and years. And you see them, and it's just like you picked up where you left off. That kind of friendship is a simple picture of the depth of friendship we have with God. He never, he never condemns. He never accuses. He's there always to lift us up and to say, you can make it. You can make it. And I just want to lead us now in, in kind of closing this. I want us to look at Romans 4 and see what Abraham did. We know the story. Well, maybe we don't know the story, but God had promised Abraham that he was going to have a son. But Abraham was 90 years old. They do get old in the Bible, don't they? He was 90 and his wife wasn't much younger than that. And Abraham hadn't had a son. And God had said, through you, I'm going to fill the earth with descendants. Yeah, Abraham couldn't work it out. But in chapter 4, it describes Abraham's tenacity and his... Well, let's read it. I'm starting from about verse 17. I'm kind of jumping a little bit through the next few verses. In the presence of him who he believed, that is God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which don't exist as though they did, this Abraham, against hope, in hope, believed. Jump to verse 20. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And this is the key thing. Being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able to perform. We are not as the world. We are totally different. We are set apart and supernatural people. And God is calling us to do supernatural things. To do things which just don't work out in the natural. We are a set-apart people. And this, this morning, this afternoon, this evening, I believe God wants to just totally meet people in that sense of, God, I'm putting all my eggs in your basket. I'm saying yes. For some of us, we may be really struggling, really challenged, stretched and torn. 
And I just feel the strong heart of God is trying to, well, I just keep repeating myself, don't I? But I hope you're getting the message. God is wanting to utterly assure us that whatever promises he has given us, he is able to perform. Whatever the journey, think of Noah, whatever the journey, however bizarre, peculiar, odd, weird, frustrating, challenging, God is able and he will perform. And he wants us just to bring all the bleh to him and not hide it from him. He just wants to say, yeah, it's okay. That's fine. And he just wants to hear those words, but I trust you, God. So let's stand. Let's just give God a moment or two.